Father, we, it's kind of interesting, as Christians and as pilgrims, we understand that this is just a part of our journey to our heavenly land, which we all certainly look forward to, but we're here now, and there are certainly principles that you've put in place for us to benefit from, to learn, to help expand our own characters, and it's interesting to think that actually the land has a lot to do with that if we allow it to be that way. So as we're talking just a few minutes here in this class about finding land and some of the things that it's important to kind of pay attention to, we're just most importantly, Lord, ask that, um, that whatever we learn and whatever we uh, walk away with here today can help lead us closer to you. And we thank you for that as our prayer. Amen. Okay, so a little bit about... It's going to be a recap for some of you folks because I know that you were, some of you were here earlier. Um, but we're, in, we're talking right now about home on the range, what to look for when searching for farmland. So this is an a, agrarian association, right? So there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, you certainly can go and live in the country, right? And there's a lot of land in the country. But it doesn't necessarily mean all the land in the country would necessarily make good farmland. So we're going to talk about those qualities, kind of the fundamentals about what you want to look for when it comes to land that can help you succeed in growing, right? Not just yourselves and your own family, but, but food. And we just want to repeat how happy we are that you're here, like we were this morning. This is a, this is a journey, as we talked about. And I'll tell you, we have personally been on quite a journey the last four years ourselves and looking for land. Um, just to reintroduce ourselves, we, uh, um, the, my, my in-laws are the couple in the middle, and then Alan's on the far end, Aubrey, our daughter, and then myself, and then my wife, Vivian. And we live in South, we live in South Central Oklahoma. And uh, for the last uh, few years, this is actually a, a picture of some of the stuff we've been doing on our current two-acre piece of land, um, and I think most of you realize from our earlier talk, if you were here, um, that we put a lot of work, <laughs> we put a lot of work into this land to get it to where it's at. In fact, uh, this is a nice picture that Alan's going to tell us a little bit about. Of course, th this is a recap for those that were here earlier, but these are the rocks that we pulled out by hand. Now, that, that loader is loading rocks to put on a dump truck to get it off of our land, okay? So we didn't have that when we were pulling any of these. And uh, they took out, what was it, six dump truck loads? Four and a half. Four and a half. Uh, 14 dump yeah. Trucks. So it was a, a mess of rocks. But this is what we want to help you avoid, if by all possible. Um, <laughs> you know, you get anxious, buy a piece of property, and then find out that it's got this mess under it. So we're going to be looking at tools today to help prevent stuff like this from happening to you um, on land that you might buy but not really know what's underneath, um, as we found in this field. You know, these rocks seem to grow, and you dig down, and it just gets bigger and bigger, and it's just a... You don't want yeah, it's a problem. So, <laughs> but what, we, what you do with what you have, I mean, yeah. so um, it, was, it was a good learning experience. Uh, and, we, and this is a little bit, you know how the media plays up certain things. Not every inch of our property had this type of rock on it. This was probably the biggest rock we actually took out. 
okay? And we didn't actually take the whole rock out. We just took it down to a level, and then we threw dirt back on top of it, right? Just to get it's it to a note. Yeah, the bottom part of it is, yeah, still there. Okay, things to consider. So here's what we're going to be kind of a little uh, cap that we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the quantity of land. Right. We're going to talk about location. There's a lot that falls underneath that. We'll also talk about land resources, the, 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 what makes up the land, and especially for things that are, you're looking for for growing, for helping you to grow. And then Alan is going to show you some whiz-bang internet tools. There are two particular sites, one, well, two, that we used extensively when we were looking, when we were looking for land. And just so... Um, just so you know, our journey uh, in, in regards to land was we had been uh, growing on that other little piece of land that you saw there. Uh, last We actually grew in 2016, and we had been growing there for, I think we talked about, like seven years. Okay, So that was a work in progress, and you saw, if you were here at the earlier meeting, you saw how that journey all took place. But um, literally for the last three years, diligently, four years kind of conversationally, we've actually been looking for land. So it's been a journey. And we'll talk to you about some of the things we ran across, stumbled across, some of the issues we ran into. We, we literally had offers on two different pieces of land that had been accepted by the seller. And then we did further testing on it and we walked away from the offer. And we're going to tell you about why we walked away from the offer and why, why we chose not to go with that particular land. So we're, and it's different reasons for different things. Okay. And we will weave those, sto weave those stories in as we go along. We won't just, this, then, you know, as we get to different areas, we'll, we'll share. So quantity. Actually, this is yours, Dad. Oh, this is mine. Very good. All right. So just a little bit. This is really quite subjective, um, but there is a, a few rules of thumb here. Okay. So... If you are literally just looking for a place to have a country home and a, a nice-sized family garden and even a handful of fruit, fruit trees, some berry bushes, all those kind of things, you could easily do that with less than five acres. Easily do it with less than five acres. Yes? This is all the total size of the acres? Yep. No, nope, this would be... The, the you could have your house. You could have a little barn. You could have... You know, what we had on two acres... And you saw how poorly our land was. And half of it we never used because it was all wooded, okay, and that, that type of thing. But, you know, last year we had a 40-member CSA. We were growing for 40 different, you know, not we didn't produce every ounce of food 40 different families ate, but we had a very robust 40-member CSA off of a quarter acre. That's what we grew on. It was a quarter acre, okay? Off of a quarter acre, and, th and these are plants that are producing half of what they potentially could on a better soil. Yeah, I mean, we would oftentimes lose sixty percent of what we put in the ground just because we ran into problems and disease and just just stuff. And what we produced was, ex I mean, what we ended up we would we only take to market what is exceptional. Okay, I mean, we have a very I like to think of a pretty high-quality standard of what we would allow out, okay? We ate a lot of the seconds ourselves, right? Or maybe ended up giving it to some friends or things of this nature, but yeah, so. Were you, were you only doing a CSA? Was that your exclusive? <laughs> if we want to get into that, let's get into that uh, in question and answer time because that's a whole different seminar in and of itself, marketing and stuff. Um, very good question, by the way. Very good question. 
but how we actually do that and the details. Um, okay, we'll then we'll just move on here. Uh, a small market garden to sell produce could be anywhere from five to 20 acres. We actually just purchased 20 acres of land in October, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you want a larger market farm, you could easily do that on 20 to 50 acres. And then you get beyond 100 acres. You know, here, here again, it all depends on how much you're planning on putting into production. If you want a lot of land around you, just because you want a lot of buffer, okay, then you're going to want to go with bigger quantities of land. But if you're talking about just land that's going to produce, and you could produce a lot on it, you really don't need that much land. So that's a decision that you kind of have to make as a family and pray about and those types of things. But that kind of gives you a, a, good, a good rule of thumb. And of course, let's say that you were to buy uh, one to five acres. If half of that acreage or three-fourths of that acreage is what we say in the ditch, because this is what happens in Oklahoma, it's like, oh, we have 20 acres. You go over it, and it's like all on a <laughs> side of a hill, and it's like, well, um, <laughs> this is not going to work. So you know, this is, this is if this land is one to five acres of arable land. Well, because a lot of your land can be taken up by areas that you probably would never want to grow on. Right, so we're going to talk to you about those qualities, the resources of what you want to see in the land, that you say this is, you want to have good, good resources of this. But right. if you line up all these things, then yes, these numbers yeah, easy. easily, easy, easy. Okay, so where should it be? Um, of course, we're going to stick to earth here, but, you know, maybe someday, you know, just imagining, you know. Maybe plant somewhere else. You never know. Um, okay. So, access. There's a lot of things to consider about this. You know, there's, there's people that live way out in the boondogs, and, you know, how far do you want to be away from an urban setting? So, and, and one of the things that I like to point out here, because we have friends, and God bless them, they live out in the back hills of Montana, and that's great. They love it there and such. But we have specific counsel from the spirit of prophecy, where we need to live out of the cities, but in close enough proximities to reach them as well. So we, we are not pushing here in any way the idea of trying to hide from society. We want to be removed from it, but we want to be close enough to also influence it. So whatever that range is for you will depend on roads and all that kind of stuff, but um, we would encourage you not to move so far out that you can't minister to the cities at some point as well. We're not, you know, way back out. That would be, do your own research, it's between you and God, but um, we feel like there's a lot of counsel for that. Um, are there passable roads all times of the year? Um, we have been to several properties where during certain times of the years, you're not getting out of there or during a flood. Well, what if you have to go to market? What if you have an emergency? What if you have something going on, let's say, and you actually can physically not get out of that property because there's a creek in the way, because the roads are bad or whatever. These are things to consider um, because if it's not passable, you know, maybe you have a helicopter, you know, uh, but uh, we don't. So... Um, do you have access to utilities, or does it need to be off-grid? The class after ours is going to be talking about off-grid solar situations, but um, most areas, from my understanding, in the United States, the cost to um, have a solar system and to replace that solar system, to keep it upkept, is usually more than the cost of electricity it, itself. So basically, watt for watt, what you'd pay, because... Solar systems are not closed systems. You have to replace batteries. You have to do a lot of this stuff. 
Sometimes if you're way out there and it's too expensive to get utility to you, and it, it, then something like that can be a really good option. But if you have uh, access to especially electricity, this can be a big saver for you when you move out to your new property because now you're not having to put all that upfront cost of thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 into a solar system um, that could run what you want it to run. Um, do you have cell service? This is a big one for us and also internet. And maybe some of you want to just get away from all that stuff. That's fine. For us, we, because we live so far out or relatively far out, um, these options are really good for us because we use this for marketing for our products. Okay? So this is, these are two things. Do you have access? There's some places that just don't have access or they don't have fast enough access. And then how far are you from potential markets? Now, this is if you're wanting to do farming, of course, full-time for a living. Or let's say that you might not want to be doing it, but maybe you could say, you know, maybe five years down the road, maybe would we consider something like that? You know, keep it in mind. We're not saying that you have to be farmers, but if you think that you might, or somewhere down the road, you know, your kids might be interested, this is a really good thing to think about. If you are two, three, four hours out, just the economics don't really work out um, to be able to get that product to market and then uh, actually pay for that trip. Okay. Toxic waste. This is this is a this is a problem here. Are there factories near you, uh, near your land? What is the waste byproduct? Different factories have different byproducts. Some affect your groundwater. Some affect the air. Are there feedlots or chicken houses? I think we can all understand that this is more of a aromatic situation, um, and, and possibly groundwater. Oil rigs and fracking rigs. This is a big issue in Oklahoma. Um, there's a lot of this going on, not so much since, since all the, the economics have really slowed down for that industry, but um, it's going to come back. And uh, with the fracking, they high-pressurize fluids in the ground, and we don't really know the full ramifications of what that's doing. Um, we, we, we do know pretty well, though, in Oklahoma that it does cause earthquakes um, because um, not the fracking necessarily, but when they put the frac, the brackish water back in the ground, it makes the ground slip. <laughs> and so uh, they make my, uh, many earthquakes. Actually, I think Oklahoma is the most earthquake active state in the United States now. Uh, small earthquakes, of course, but it, it shakes in certain parts of the state a little more than it used to. So we're suspicious. It's normally a couple hours more than that. Yeah. <laughs> Are there human waste, treating, human waste treating facilities nearby? Um, there was a piece of land that we're looking at, we were looking at, and the town sewer ponds were just on the other side of the fence. And so, um, you know, this could be a problem. It could not. It's just, that's a lot of waste. And uh, we decided that, you know, that, that could be a potential biological hazard, um, not to mention just chemical hazards, because people put stuff down their toilets that, you probably wouldn't want in your groundwater. Um, and then um, what are they doing to the water slash air quality? These are things to consider. Um, you know, I know Arkansas has crazy amount of chicken, you know, operations. Um, you know, different states have different things. It just depends on your, yes, sir. I've heard that some farmers get in trouble being too close to another farmer because their pesticides might blow onto their field. Right, and that would be under, uh, I would say toxic hazards, maybe. Um, there are, so for, for an organic operation within our state, there's actually a legal team up at the Capitol that they work with claims. So basically, if your pesticide drifts over into someone else's stuff and it kills it and you can identify it, 
then basically they have to pay for your crop. And then they also will circle your farm so that any applicators within the state that are certified know that you're there and they know to apply on certain days so that it doesn't blow over on you. So um, this is a problem. Um, and of course, a lot of heavily agricultural areas that you might want to look for land in. Um, for instance, I have a friend that um, she lives in, in Washington and they grow a lot of fruit there in this particular valley and they're spraying four or five times a year. Where we live in Oklahoma, they're spraying once, and now they're even moving to, to pelletize things on the ground, so they're not even spray, so it's not even aerial. So there's, they're trying to diminish their spray over, but it is, it, it is a thing, and some areas will spray more, some areas will spray less. So something to take into consider, and it's good to know your neighbors, and are they willing to work with you? Because there's only so many times where you can lose a tomato crop um, before you're out of business, if, if you're doing this for a living, not to mention the uh, neurotoxin aspects of these types of things. But just one thing to consider here, and I'll just move to the next one. My dad's going to do this. But um, things to consider is that you're never going to eliminate all risk. Okay? It's just not going to happen. There's always going to be, whether it's the weather, whether it's you know, this or that, there's always going to be something. We just want you to be aware of what those risks are so you can make a judgment on it. And then also... Um, to, to minimize your risk where you can as much as possible within reason. Because this stuff is everywhere. We're not going to get completely away from it. Right. And some of it is just more, it's just more likely to happen. You have a greater risk for certain things. Like, for instance, we're in Oklahoma. There's this song that goes, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. You ever heard that song? Okay. Where the waving wheat can sure smell sweet. Okay, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. It's windy where we are. Not always, but there's certain times of the season or the year, it's windy. It's just windy. And, you know, a lot of times little baby plants, even sometimes big plants, they just don't like a lot of wind. And you can't, you know, the idea is that you can't cover everything. I guess you could probably, but it gets very, very, very expensive to put hoop houses over there. So the thought is, is that, okay, are there ways you can buffer the wind? Is there tree lines that you can put in place? Or maybe there's tree lines that are already there that can help buffer that wind. And our predominant wind in Oklahoma comes from the south. We'll get some from the north occasionally, but most of that, when it gets heated up and stuff, I'm sure Texas, I'm sure it gets some wind in Texas too. I don't know about in your part of Texas, but you just want to be thinking about these things. Some of these may be more, like if, you're in, if you are in Florida, you know, hurricanes probably more likely here than, than any other state, right? So... Um, there's not a whole lot you can do about preventing a hurricane, right? There's just, there just really isn't. And it's not, but, you know, drought, hail, hail is another issue for us in Oklahoma. It doesn't hail a lot, but all it takes is one good hail at the right time, and it pretty much shreds everything you have out in the field. And it's, you know, it's not encouraging. So we're, we're looking at little simple infrastructure that can give enough protection from hail but doesn't impede the sunlight too much but and and can take a you know a 60 mile an hour wind because i mean you'll get those right it's not often but they will happen so just consider the different natural risks that are maybe in your area and um things that maybe you ha you have to be thinking ahead a little bit because if if it's po if it's potential if it's possible it's probably going to happen at least occasionally, right? Okay, what's next, Alan? Okay, so easement rights. These are types of things where 
certain utility companies and things actually have rights to go across your land. It's not your land, maybe it's land you're looking at to purchase. So in Oklahoma, anytime you go to want to dig somewhere, they have something, it's, a, it's called Oki Dig, that you have to call this number and you have to get like clearance for you to go out there and dig. And so they'll call people like the gas company, the electric company, um, they'll call oil oil companies because in Oklahoma we have certain pipelines that they'll run through and sometimes they have easements over certain property. The key is is that some of those would probably be a greater risk. We don't have, uh, we have nothing on the new land that we've bought that has gas, any kind of easements of any sort. It's kind of tucked back in a little cul-de-sac kind of area but um, you want to just kind of be aware of that. Plus in Oklahoma big thing is oil rigs oil and gas rigs that have roads that will come right through your property so that they can get to a gas or oil rig way out yonder, okay, and get maintenance, service it, that type of thing, so they're going back and forth. So you just want to be cognizant of this area. And, you know, when you're in a much more wooded area, sometimes it's not so easy to know that there's, there's natural <laughs> gas and oil out there because it's kind of hidden by the trees, but you'd be surprised how many places these types of industries have reached. Yes, Alex. West Virginia, for one. <laughs> there's a lot of, I was like, whoa, look on top of that hill, there's an oil rig. You know, I was like, wow. You know, in Oklahoma, it's just flat and you see them all pumping. It's like, ah, oh, I see them all. But there it's like, whoa, <laughs> up there. Another thing to consider is that sometimes they can have easements across your land where they're going to put something in. Because there is this piece of land up near um, that, that other one that didn't work out for us where the wells were not good. Wawoka. Wawoka. And um, I guess it doesn't really matter. No one probably knows where it is anyways. <laughs> um, and there was like an easement that was pending on that land, and basically it expired. So I give, they give them a time limit on saying, look, within this time limit, if you're going to put in, let's say, an electrical line or if you're going to put in a gas line through here, you have a certain window to get that project done, and then after it, it closes, and they have to reapply for it. So um, this particular property had had one on it. And so you can look back in property history as well um, and, and, and see where, you know, does, because sometimes it can't always be visual. They might have everyone come out to see where to dig, and they just might not have put it in yet. But they still have a right because they already have a work order on it. Yes. Once you get to a piece of land, do you have the right to deny the no. Oftentimes, easements transfer regardless of who owns the property. So if they have a certain easement in there for a certain number of years, it, it comes right, right, right along with you, even though now you, quote, own the land, right? So, so in Oklahoma, you, there's a whole separate land rights for oil and gas. So you may own the land on top of the ground. Somebody else owns the rights to the oil and the gas underneath the ground, Right? And they have a right to, in essence, within, you know, I don't know how exactly how all that works, but they have a right to kind of go after it if they're the ones who own the oil and gas rights. Yes? Down here, we, um, Florida, there's an issue with um, mineral rights. Down the yep, place. mineral rights, yes. They do a lot of phosphate mining, which is really, really bad. Um, yep. But you can buy land that has mineral rights, too. So my question is, yeah. if you buy a land that does not have any easements, are you protected from getting something onto your land? I don't think we know the answer to that. I mean, there's always a thing of, of uh, imminent domain, which can always be an issue in any, in any state. Most, most mineral rights are not sold with the property. In not Oklahoma. in Oklahoma. 
It's good to know. It's good to know. Though. I mean, most any, almost all the property we looked at over this journey, and we looked at quite a bit, mineral rights were not included with it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's unusual for mineral rights to go with the property in Oklahoma. I don't know about in Florida or in your state. Something that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and and there are. Let's, we need to move on. Oh. That, that's a good point, but we got more to cover. But Can you check keep. Easements? Pardon? Wouldn't you go to your county? Um... So, in in our case, you know, we just when we called Oki Dig, okay, at least any of the easements around natural gas or electric or any of those type of things, those contact those people were all contacted, so you could get a better idea on who actually they contact, and they will come out and literally they would spray, um, they'd like, in our case, we weren't there, but they just spray like an X on the ground to say we were here to check it out and know there's nothing on your land here. Okay? But I'm sure you can have lawyers, uh, because when we bought the land, the town, where was that, abstract office? Uh -huh, abstract. She said that you can also have another survey done um, on easement rights on that particular land. So basically, you're getting the lawyer involved. They're looking back and the stuff, and you get surveyors go out and they do all that work for you. Yeah. Yes, Jake. Okay. Even if you have like electrical wires running through your property, that's the easement for electrical coverage. Right. So there's certain things you just know in the easement as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something to be aware of and do your own research. Um, yeah. We, we can only go so far. Right. Okay. We're going to talk now a little bit about resources. Uh, about some of the qualities about the land that we want to look at. Alan, I think you're here. Okay, so water. Uh, these are just some rule of thumb. Seven to eight gallons per minute uh, is a good household well. Uh, 20 to 25 gallons per minute for a 1.5 acre market garden. This is, this is kind of the classic small market farm situation that Dysingers are talking about out here. You're looking at 1.5 acres, and we think that you can do easily do that with 20 to 25 gallons. The more the better, but that's a good rule of thumb. And then I was talking to some guys at Irrigation Mark uh, down uh, in uh, Louisiana, and I think they say six gallons per minute per acre uh, if you're using drip tape. I personally don't think that's enough there in the industry, but that's where we uh, leave paths there. I think you need at least 15 gallons a minute per acre of, of land, and of course, the higher the better. And basically, if you have more gallons per minute, uh, let's say that your well yields, it means that you can irrigate faster. So let's say that your well breaks down or something, your pump breaks. Um, if, if you have to get it fixed, you can catch up a lot sooner. This six gallons a minute per acre is running 24-7 days a week, your drip irrigation system all the time. That doesn't leave you any buffer if the system breaks down to catch back up. So it's very important, I think, that you have at least 15 gallons per minute per acre of land that you're trying to, to work on. Um, twice that much for overhead irrigation. Usually over, overhead irrigation is a little bit more hoggish when it comes to water. My personal opinion, unless you're doing tomatoes or things like this, um, Overhead irrigation is, is the best form of irrigation with micro-sprinklers. I like it the best. And you don't have all this drip line on the ground. Drip line has its place, don't get me wrong, especially if you're in limited water situations, but a lot of growers joke around and they call it, uh, instead of drip irrigation, they call it drip irritation. Um, uh, test, test for potability. This is usually a requirement by your state when you drill a well. You just want to make sure that you're not getting any bugs or heavy metal or all that kind of stuff in there. And then test for irrigation quality. This is a big issue, especially in the state of California, especially in the southern half, uh, central to southern half of the San Joaquin Valley. 
Uh, not that any of you guys are going there. I don't think anyone's necessarily from there here. I don't know. Um, of course, you guys got a, they got a whole bunch of rain, so I think you're, you guys in California are feeling pretty good about your water situation now. So uh, we're very happy for you, Mr. Mr. Hag. Um, but this is a really big issue. We can't go into the depths. This is, this is a huge issue. If the water isn't a good quality, you might as well not even buy that land, okay? Because what that does to you, if it's bad water, it will mess you up and twist you around, and we've had some issues with this on our personal situation. We're not going to go into that, but I do have, for those that have iPhones or are ready to take a picture, um, these guys are actually out of California. Uh, B&B Consulting, we use them as our water consultants. This is strictly for irrigation water quality, okay? So what you're doing is you're going to take like a clean pint jar, send it off to a lab, and then send this test to them. But I would call them and just say, okay, how do we take this test? Um, the ideal time to take a water test is in May, June, or July. You don't want to take it at the end of your season because that's when it looks the worst or at the beginning or after, you know, you've had a lot of rain because it can skew your numbers. So that's kind of the, not that you guys are going to have that option when you're looking at land. By all means, just take a test if, if you're going to buy this land. Don't say, I'm going to wait until, you know, but that is kind of the, the, an ideal window. Um, and they said they, for, uh, they can do it for $100. This is $100 for an hour, but I talked with them yesterday and they said that they can, you can take the test, send it off, and then they'll do the interpretations for $100. It's well worth the money because if you have problems, it's a problem. Okay, so that's all I'll go into it for that. Did everyone get that information that, that needs it? May to like middle of July because people are starting to pull out of their, they'll tell you. <laughs> that's where I'll leave it there, but there's a reason for it, okay? This is yours, Dad. Okay, what do we got? Okay, so when you're looking at soil quality, basically soil is made up of kind of three types of soil. There's clay, loam, sand, those three. What do you think is the most pre predominant soil in the, like the state of Florida? Sand. sand. You can tell just by walking around here, can't you? Yeah, huge sand, huge amount of sand here, okay? So the idea is, is that Every piece of land virtually is made up a combination of these types of things. Some land is so clay, it's just, it's just amazing the, the amount of clay on land. Now, ideally, we're not gonna, this isn't a soil fertility course either, so we're just going to touch very, very lightly on some things here. So, Alan, why don't you punch on the next button, and we'll go to there. Um, we're going we're gonna to show you a couple things of... Um, Actually, Alan, I'd rather you tell that story because you were the one that experienced it. Okay, so okay? It's, you want to do that first? Or? Yeah, I well, can do it first. So um, we're, we're going to go to this one real quick here, okay? So we're going to show you... Which one's that? So the second one, sorry. How high is the water table? Okay, okay. so this is, this is really critical. Um, there are soils that are excellent soils as far as particulate size. They're just they're wonderful soils. But if your water table is too high and it's boggy, okay... And you can't always tell this just by pictures or something. Sometimes you have to, this is why it's so important to get on the land. We were at this land once, and we were going out to see it there. And this guy's like, yeah, I have five ponds in that land. And, you know, they never gone dry during a drought. And I'm like, yeah, this sounds pretty good. So we're driving around this land. And these ponds, they're dinky. They're just little, just little ponds, like just, you know, like uh, five rows back here, you know, just, just about that size. And I'm like, you know, 
in a dry spell, that would go dry in four weeks. You know, why do they have water? And we get driving around, and then we start feeling the tire spinning. You know, I'm like, uh-oh. And we stop, and of course, we kind of start sinking. And I get out, and it's just like, you know, you're looking at the soil, and it's like, this is, this is why you never buy land blind, okay? You go and see it. And um, basically, this land, it was incredible. It was like a sandy loam top, but I guess it had a clay layer under it or some springs under the whole property. Like, it was 50 acres of this kind of stuff. And we were, like, pushing the car to get out. We almost got stuck, stuck on this land, and we were doing ruts in it and stuff. It was, it was terrible. I mean, the soil was great, but the land was terrible. It was just bad. And um, there are ways to get around the, the high water table situation, but you can't always tell a land just by soil quality. Uh, or, you know, someone says, oh, it's a sandy loam, and oh, I'll get it. You need to get there and see, is it holding water? And especially after a good rain or something like that, but this land, had, we hadn't had rain in like a week and a half, and it's still like oozing, and yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, so, yeah and the other aspect about inches to bedrock, you, those of you who are here early enough and you saw our nice rock pile of our property, that land was, when, when Alan shows you a test that he's going to show you here in just a minute about how you can determine a lot of this online, it's uh, really good. We, no, not on our property. On our property, it has oh, yeah. bedrock. I mean, when you see bedrock, like bedrock, you know, like one, one to six inches bedrock, you, you know that that's probably something you want to stay away from. And then we're going to talk about soil, soil drainage as well. And we're going to show you some specific ways that you can get a real good indication of this without ever having to even go to the land. You want to do this homework first. Then you go to the land and verify what this says. Then you're going to be a lot better off, okay? And then how do things grow on it? I mean, when you're just out there looking on the land, are, is there grasses growing? Are there trees on it? I mean, is it kind of half dead looking? Are there dead spots on it? You know, you want to be, you want to be cautious of that. Those should be little indicators that say warning, warning, okay? You want better, because, you know, sometimes we, we, we can get such a great deal on something, right? Or it's in a, such a nice location. Other, but you, you want to just kind of make sure to keep yourself kind of together when you're, yes, sir. Um, to go back to what um, Alan was yeah. saying, so we do want land that have ponds on it. Oh, absolutely. Ponds can be a ponds great, are. can be a great thing. Here's the thing. In that land, these ponds were little ponds, and we were in a very, very, very dry, long drought, and they still had water in them. That's, well, that's, that's just most shallow ponds in a drought time situation will be dry. They just will be. I mean, just kind of. So when you had that water, that kind of was an indicator. Why, are the, why is there water in that pond? They're so shallow. And then you get out there and you, he starts having this issue. Then you go, okay, no, we need to step back from this. This is, you know, there might be a nice pretty scenery. It might have some other good qualities. But the soil is really a critical component, obviously, okay? What's an example? And, and it's not just the soil itself. It's how well does that soil drain? You know, you can have a really good top foot, but if below that you're getting clay, then and that's holding water, then, you know, this might look good, but if that ain't good, to take a word from Oklahoma, uh, it just ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got next? Uh, I think you're Okay, so this is one thing to consider. Soil test, always take a test on that soil. This is very important. You want to know what you're dealing with. And again, you want a professional, if you're not versed in this, a professional to look at that for you. And we have some recommendations here. 
um, if it was an orchard, and this is a problem, a lot of orchards used arsenics and heavy metals as pesticides back in the day that does not have a very good half-life. Actually, it doesn't have any half-life. It stays in the soil. And so if, if, you, if, you ha if there was an old orchard and you're buying this land, there might be a reason why there isn't an orchard there anymore. Um, heavy metals is a problem. It's, it, you don't want your kids playing around that. It's just something to be aware of. And um, dead zones, Dad mentioned that earlier. Usually, if you're walking over a piece of land and you see areas that are not growing anything or are sparsely growing something, why is it not growing it? You're wanting land to grow stuff. If certain things are not growing there, like just sparse or just... It, there's something wrong. And it might just mean that you just need to add something back. That's why you want to take a soil test. But it might also mean that someone has put some toxic stuff onto that land, and that's why it's not growing it. And you want to stay away from locations like that. Um, unless you're really, really good with soil chemistry and you know what you're doing, I, even then, I, probably they would even say it's not worth your time. And then in, in these cases, okay, it might also be good to test for aluminum and mercury or some of those heavy metals. And, and I would talk to whoever your consultant is on, uh, hey, should I take this? This is what I'm seeing. And then they can recommend you appropriately on that. And these are the guys that we work with. Um, Mr. Hoag, I think you have some guys that probably would do the same stuff, wouldn't they? Uh, I personally like uh, international ag labs, but we're doing something very similar. Okay. But they could take, they would test for heavy metals, though, international ag labs for toxicity. So, I mean, you know, th these are just, yeah, it's, it's good to get a good look-see and, and talk to some professionals. Um, I'm not one of them, but uh, I'm trying to be, so. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, and it takes a lot of great experience and those types of things. Who's next? And they'll tell you how to test it appropriately because there's a certain testing procedure. So don't just say, I dug a piece of bag. I'm just going to send it in. There's, there's a procedure to this, okay, as well. Right. So they'll give you a really con easy, good step-by-step -step directions. Then do it so that, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You want to make sure you get the good stuff in. Right. We tested every single piece of property that we made an offer on before we made an offer on it. So it was just, yep, yep, yep. And, you know, it requires you to be patient. You know, sometimes it takes a few weeks. I mean, you know, huh? That's right. That's right. Okay. What's next now? Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about the slope of the land. Okay. This is, this is important. Okay, especially if you're deciding to grow um, a farm to actually be able to make a living on it. I mean, you might not think about it, but a seven to eight degree slope doesn't seem like a whole lot. But if you're walking up and down that slope and you're carrying a cart full, pulling a cart full of whatever, over time, it's going to wear you down. And so the other thought is, is that there's a lot of other factors, but the key is, is that you ideally, we're, we're talking more here about ideally, okay? There's not like there can't be exceptions to this. I know that there's people who will tear us. I remember going to Venezuela with my wife years ago, and we were driving through the Andes Mountains. And I imagine the slopes there on some of these mountains were probably, that they were growing on, were probably 25, 30, 35%. And they had them terraced. But can you imagine if that was what you wanted to work on every day and you wanted to 
go up and bring stuff down and it would just be exhausting i mean people can make a lot of things out of out of out of things that might be difficult but we're letting you know that ideally what you're looking for is a property with a slope of the area that you're planning on growing in, okay? Doesn't mean you can't have a nice, beautiful hill on this side of the property, but you want to have this nice area that has about a, anywhere from a zero to five percent slope. A little slope is actually, one to two percent slope would actually be nice. It can help with drainage and things of this nature, but you want to, that's what you want to look at. You also want to think about if you're going to have any kind of tractor or anything of that nature, you want to be careful when you're driving on anything that has too much of a slope. You can turn a tractor over pretty easy. We know people who have turned tractors over, okay? Yeah, so you just want to make sure you're sensitive to that type of thing. Also, which way is the land where you're going to actually be growing? Which way does it face? Does it face north, south, east, or west? And what happens to be behind you? If you're on the north, if you're, if you're facing south, no, no, if you're on yeah, the land facing west. north, and um, you have a hill that actually is to the south. Pardon? That's to the south of you. You'll find that sometimes of the year you will get no direct sunlight. You know how when you, if you ever been skiing or something like that, a lot of ski resorts are built with a north face, right? So they don't have a lot of sun that's melting that snow. They like to be able to keep that the quality of that snow. It's kind of different with you. You're gonna ideally you'd want like a little south facing south-facing land. So, that, so in other words, it opens up to the south. Because remember, think about it. We're down in Florida now, but if you're up north, you know how far that sun tilts during the north, right? During the winter time, sorry. Yeah, during the winter time, the angle of that sun really tilts a lot. So you want to kind of be sensitive to how the slope of your land is. Um, and of course, if there's hills around the land uh, that would shade in the winter, you want to be sensitive to that. And of course, does the land drain easily or does the water sit in areas? You don't want water just sitting. You want it to move off your growing area, right? You don't want to have this kind of sitting. Alan, did you want to say something? And that has a lot to do with just the contour of the land. Sometimes these pieces of land, they can kind of be in a bowl where they just, you know, so um, that's... You know, we're not talking about necessarily soil quality here. We're talking about slope and contour, okay? And some of this can be changed, but you're not going to move that hill like Dad said. That's yeah, going to be difficult. Any questions on slope? Yes, go ahead. How much of a slope is it, would you say? Is it a pretty big slope? It's like, it's like sledding <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> okay, well. I think, could I take a stab at that and then I'll let you. The thought would be is you want to get a good sense of where the water is coming. So when you get heavy rains, you don't want water just gushing through wherever you've planted, Right? You want the water to shed off of the areas where you're, you know, where you're, where, where you've planted your produce. So, if down at the bottom of the slope has a tendency to pond and puddle, then you wouldn't want it there. Uh, sometimes people maybe have to terrace. I mean, I was out listening to, um, oh no, we were in here listening to Jonathan Dysinger talk, and they have at their at their place they actually have more level areas where they have their movable greenhouses. They had to bring bulldozers in 
to, to terrace these areas. So their greenhouses are, you, you following me? Their greenhouses are kind of, they're kind of stair-stepped down on terraces because they had this slope. But they didn't build the greenhouse on the slope. They cut it out, they cut out of the hill, they have a greenhouse, and then another greenhouse. You see what I'm saying? So one thing you might consider, depending on how much you're wanting to grow, would be to terrace an area. How about you, Mr. Hoag? What would you suggest to something like that? <laughs> so you probably saw a lot of terrace. You want to take it back? Yeah. I thought these were your thoughts on that. We, we saw an awful lot of uh, terracing there, and sometimes there would be, sometimes there would be a 20-foot rock wall to make an 8-foot terrace there. But you've got to have that level, otherwise your soil is all going to end up in the next county there. <laughs> is it counties in Nepal or in the Himalayas? <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> provinces, provinces, okay. When it's raining out, right, you've got to be thinking about where's the water going. I'm on a, there's a drain field, so it actually goes south. So it actually won't go. So maybe if you want to, we could chat just a little after that, and we can, we can, we can drill on that a little more. Okay, let's move to the next one. Alan? Wind protection. Okay, some areas uh, it blows, some areas it doesn't. Actually, I believe it blows everywhere. It just depends on what land you're working with. Like I said, I had a friend in Washington, and we climbed to the top of this mountain, and uh, I said, I found your wind uh, here in Washington State. It's, it's up here. It's not down there. So there is wind in Washington State. It's just it's got to go up to get to it. Um, so, but in Oklahoma, this is a big issue. And of course, uh, do you have hills or trees to protect you from the wind? This is a big part of what we did when we were considering land. We wanted to look for tree buffers or hill buffers because that straight line wind can be a big stressor on your crops. Um, and if you don't have wind breaks, uh, what other options are there? There's a lot of options, actually. Hoop houses and such. We need to move. Yeah, go ahead. So, and then uh, trees. This comes down to just privacy, and if you're wanting to heat your house with wood, do you have a minimum of five acres per household for heating with wood? Uh, that was uh, recommended by, um, oh, what's his name? Yeah, Dave Westbrook. Westbrook. He does country living. Yeah. So we just took that off of his. So that's, uh, that's so yeah, that is, that's for trees. Now we're going to get into some, um, I'm just going to sit down here with yeah. this some uh, web tools okay so as far as location and access great tool Google Maps excellent tool okay you guys have probably always used this but Google Maps has some great stuff you can even measure the distance between places on Google Maps as well so if you're looking how long is this and stuff there's great tools there and of course uh, for finding distances um, how far is it from Oklahoma City to where we live in Darty or where we're going to live all that good stuff. Pretty self-explanatory. I know a lot of you guys use Google Maps. Excellent resource. Helps you spot out oil rigs and chicken houses and all that good stuff without having to go there. And you, you, you get it. So, okay. Moving on here. Web Soil Survey. Um, this is a part of uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I think it's a part of the, the National Conservation Research, whatever, whatever NRCS. And um, this is an excellent... Um, an excellent tool. What we're going to be looking at in this tool is these five uh, five basic points. Um, we're going to be looking at the parent material. Um, we're going to be looking at the topical profile. 
This will tell us how deep it is to bedrock, if there is any bedrock within 80 inches. We're going to be looking at slope, uh, the class of drainage, and the frequency of flooding. Okay, These are important factors um, in deciphering, and this all is for free on the NRCS website. Uh, and of course, these are the ideals. We'll show this page again afterwards, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of go over it again. Okay. Just search web soil survey on Google. Sorry, yeah, web soil survey. Web soil survey. You can type that into Google, yeah. Web soil survey. Got it? Okay. I can go back for it afterwards after we're done here. Ready? Okay, so here we are. Okay. Going to soil a web survey. We're gonna just go through this quickly because thank you so much, Nick. <coughs> Is it, are you doing the internet live right here? No. Okay. Um, okay, so this I'll just go back here. So it looks like this is the home page. Okay, you're gonna just click on that green button, start uh, it's, uh, web soil survey, WSS. And this is what your home page is gonna look like. Extra fast, okay? So um, you can go over to the left-hand side and put in your address or the address of the place where you're interested or you can zoom in by going over to these little zoom buttons on the edge and then zoom into the area of interest that you're looking for. Okay, so this is our land, and then you'll see these two little buttons here. You see my little cursor there over the two buttons? Okay, so those two buttons are, is what gives you the ability to, whoops, to actually go over the land, and it's an AOI, area of interest, okay? So you're gonna just click on one of those buttons, and you can either do a square, or you can do a polygon of different shapes. We're gonna do two here, just going back over to this, you can actually uh, measure it out like so. Click on it, loads. And if you see over on the, uh, okay, it says how many acres, 20.5 acres there. So that tells me how many acres is under that area, that survey. Now I'm gonna come up here to the soil maps. I'm gonna click on it, okay. And once I click on it, it shows me, yeah, do you want to point on all those? Sure. Um, it's well, going to show us. It just gives you different numbers. And these different numbers correspond with different numbers right over here. Soil types. Right here. Every single number here, this map unit symbol, correlates to a number over here on this soil. So we're going to click on number um, Kiwanifine Sandy Loam, which is number 40. 40, right here. Okay. No. Going to click on it, and now it has a description of that particular soil. And this shows you it's 15 and a half acres, which is 75% of the total land you're looking so at. So it tells me that, um, it tells me the average precipitation. It tells me that its area is prime farmland. That just means that the area is less than a 3% slope. Theirs is a 3% slope here. It tells me, of course, the soil type. It tells me the description of the soil. And a bit of about is contouring here. Then it gives me a topical profile here, and it says 0 to 8 inches is fine sandy loam, 18 to 16 inches is fine sandy loam, 16 to 64 inches is sandy clay loam, and 60 to 80 inches is fine sandy loam. So there is no bedrock below 80 inches here. So above, this is very, sorry, above 80 inches. Yeah, above 80 inches. Above 80 inches, yeah. So, and then it tells me the slope here, properties, of, uh, properties and qualities, okay? It tells me it's natural drain class, well-drained, 
And then it also gives me a hydraulic soil group bound here, which is B. Um, B or uh, C is what we recommend because it's not going to be, it's going to hold water, but it's not going to hold too much. And so just right here, you have an incredible amount of information. And then it also says, uh, where's the frequency of flooding? Uh, maybe it's down below. Oh, right here. Frequency, okay. Uh, frequency of flooding, none. Frequency of ponding, none. So this soil, not only does it not have a frequency of flooding, but it's a class that the, wa the water actually penetrates the soil instead of just running off. So you can have a soil that's on a, a slope, and um, it might say, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have flooding, but it might have ponding, but it might not say it has ponding because it has more of a slope because the water never actually penetrates the soil. It just runs off the top. And a lot of heavy clay soils have, they might not have flooding, but they might have ponding, okay, on, on the surface. Um, so this soil is an excellent soil, and quite honestly, that's why we bought it. Yeah. So the thought here is, is that, you know, here it just shows you everything right here. It just breaks out. And it's amazing because, I mean, we go out there, we had an auger, we're going to show you this in a second, that drills down a couple feet. We, we tested every single spot on this property just, just to see if they, were, if they were close. And it was spot on. It was spot on. It is amazing. It is amazing. Now, we have run in, actually, actually, now that we know how to now use we this. We didn't, we didn't know about this hydro, uh, hydraulic soil group situation here and it was D on that land. Yeah. So we go over drilling it's like you're supposed to be alone. You know, we're going down and it's like yeah. really muddy and stuff and then oh it's a hydraulic B. I mean a D. D. Yeah. That's that's bad. But this site <laughs> is available. It's holding water, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just held water like now, crazy. If you have a slope, if you have like a six to eight percent slope, you'll probably never notice it because okay. that water Sorry, if you have a 68% slope, you might never notice it because that water, instead of penetrating the soil, is actually running right off. Actually, I think they have a runoff class low. It also has a runoff class. Some runoff class will be high. That means the water's not penetrating. Just get yourself acclimated with that site. Spend, spend needed. If you're looking for land, this site would save you. I just can't imagine how much. We need to move on because we're running out of time. Yeah, they also have on this site, we're going to move on here, but they also, that's just a review from what we went over. Uh, they also have information on soil building quality, structural integrity of the soil. So what can you actually build there? How, what's the weight capacity of the soil? A lot of helpful stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, soil water board. Just do this one quick. Like I'll do it quick. Okay. So um, Oklahoma has an Oklahoma water board, and it will have, um, there's so much on here, but we're just going to show you one one dynamic of it, and I'm just going to zoom forward. Basically, you can uh, see the wells. This is all the wells that are on the water board that are logged in the state, okay? You can zoom in on this, and a lot of states will have this, and zoom into the area of interest, what you're looking at, and okay, this is what we're interested in right here. So um, it tells us the, tells us where it is, it tells us the total depth of the well, the first water foot of the well, and it tells us the approximate yield of the well. This is amazing information if you're going to be drilling a well within a particular area because it can tell you how lucky people are around you. <laughs> and in this well, this well yields 350 gallons a minute. This is an irrigation class well. Um, so that's really promising if you're buying land near something like that. Okay, so 
Each state will be different, but it's your it's your state water board. Okay? State water board website, and that will be different for for each state. Okay, next. On-site test. Okay, so we're going to just go through this real quick. Go ahead. A perk test. This is really, this is Alan on the piece of property that we were looking at. We didn't buy this property. He, we uh, took this auger and we drilled down to a couple feet, a little more than two feet, and we took a five-gallon bucket of water and we came back over and we put this five-gallon bucket of water in there. And ideally what you're shooting for is that that five-gallon bucket of water should be drained through within 24 hours. Okay, so we came over here, we took the five-gallon bucket, we poured it into the hole, fills it almost hold it all much, and that water's probably still sitting in that hole. <laughs> I mean, we came back the next day, and it had dropped, it had dropped maybe like four inches. And, we're, and it was just like right then, it's like, nope, nope. And we did that at several holes around the way. Okay, huh? Clay. Big clay. Yeah, and we just ask them. Yeah. That was part of the arrangement when we were making the offer. Okay, digging a well. We'll play this for you real quick. We're almost out of time here, Alan. Okay. Maybe we won't play it real quick. So we're just going to show you a 25-second process of the well that was being dug on our property. So this is a new property that we actually purchased based upon the test of this exact well being. That was all hinging on whether we bought the property or not. And uh, this is them actually drilling the well and getting it cased in and then they pumped it out and that well right there today produces about 70 gallons a minute That's awesome. and we had a well hit the next one if you would Alan What's the cost to do that? that was about 20 2200 oh I just want to tell you this 4,000 versus 24,000 just to tell you how this worked we had an offer on some other property that looked wonderful we loved the resources on it it was 40 acres it was just very nice we couldn't get water we spent $4,000 on a dry well. But how do you know? We did the water soil. We did the, we, did the, we did the research on the state water board. There were wells in the area that were producing 35, 40 gallons a minute in the area. There were some other wells that were only producing about five or six gallons a minute. How do you know? So we, had, we talked to the well driller. He comes out. He says, I think, I think you have a good chance of getting it, but I can't tell you what's under there. I just don't know. So we start drilling, and Alan and I are out there. We're videoing the whole thing, all this kind of stuff. We prayed, Lord, if there's meant to be, great. If not, we're okay with it. We made the commitment we're going to go to 300 feet. That's what we decided. We're going to stop at 300 feet. We got to about 250. The well driller looks over at me. He goes, you want to go on to 300? And we said, we made a commitment to go to 300. So I go, what do you think? He goes, Let's, let's go to 300. So he drills it on down to 300. We got about, he said, about seven gallons a minute. It he said it will make a fine house well. But, and there's ways, you know, if we wanted to come in and put these big storage tanks and have a slow pump and pump into this, there would be ways you could maybe work it. But it's just a lot of, lot of hassle. So the idea was is that we spent $4,000, but in the end, we probably saved ourselves $204,000 because why go out there and build all this infrastructure in there, put a house on there, and then come to find out you don't have any water? And he goes, you know what? That, you, I can't tell you how many times that happens. People, build their houses. People go out there without even knowing if they have water on the property. So just, you know, water is such a crit critical thing. Yes? This is all, you have an offer on the property, but you have not closed on it, and you dig a well. 
and we spent four thousand dollars. Okay. We did not. We walked away from this offer. You were almost they, we had an offer. They had accepted our offer. It was contingent on us having a well that we could hit at a certain amount of gallons per minute. And if we couldn't, then we would take our offer back and we'd get our earnest money back. Yeah. So that was just built into the agreement. Tax deductible to do that? Well, I mean, it's tax deductible because I mean, it's part of our it's part of our business. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's you know it's an amazing experience. It took us literally four years. I don't want to say it wasn't full time, but you know what? Let me tell you this. You ask Alan or either one of us, are we glad it took us four years? Maybe not. But are we glad that we know what we know now four years later than we did when we first started? Absolutely. So in a way, was the Lord protecting us through this process? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're just so far much further down the road than we were. So Anyway, thank you so much. I know we're about out of time. How do we deal with snakes? Well, we have a hoe. We have a hoe. We're this new property seven miles from where we are right now. Yeah, we're going to keep our same market. Everything. It's yeah, and it, it's an amazing story. I wish I could tell you more about it, but. We had already been doing some stuff with that community. It's a little dinky community of about 220 people. And it's, anyway, we had, been, we had been donating some of our extra produce to their senior citizen center. We never knew we were going to buy land in that right where we were because we're just outside that little community. So we move into this area and people are saying, you know, we, are, we already know you. You're already welcome into this. Because, you know, sometimes little communities are very difficult to break into. Um, it's and the guy who told us about the land gave Alan a ride when he was four years old on his four wheel. It, anyway, it's just kind of it's just kind of cool. Anyway, thank you so much. Yes. We have a small we have a farm that we're trying to develop into a bigger. Farm. It's mostly vegetable production. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for this another time to spend together. Lord, I just pray that you would bless all these people as they, they look for a country property. May they uh, be patient in their endeavor, and may, they sh- may you show them the area that they're supposed to be. We know that it's more than just land, it's also ministry, and we pray that um, you would lead them and guide them in that endeavor. In your name we ask, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, Or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.